Sometimes when we preach, um, we, we talk about things that we know stuff about. Um, sometimes we have a, a sermon series, and it's conveniently based on something that I studied in college, um, and I can feel um, vaguely smug and academic and informed. Um, other uh, talks don't quite take that route. Um, as I've been reading this passage this week, um, I don't really know an awful lot about it. Um, but what, what I felt God uh, say to me is something uh, really clear. I felt God give me a, a really clear challenge this week. And that's what I want to, to share with you. I don't have a, a neatly constructed three-point talk with everything with the same letter or anything like that. But what I do have is a, a sense of this is what uh, God's challenging me about. And that maybe as God challenges me, maybe he's challenging us as a church and as we're a church family made up of individuals, maybe he's challenging uh, each of us tonight uh, to hear what he has to say through this passage to us. So there are, there are bits where this talk may not seem entirely coherent, and it may not stack up quite as neatly as we all would wish. I mean, all of us would like that. I mean, I would like that, but it's not going to happen. Um, but, but I think that God is um, challenging us um, really clearly and really directly tonight. So I'd love for you to uh, wait and listen to what it is that God might have to say to you. Uh, every once in a while, I, I go through a little bit of a personal crisis, uh, a personal crisis. And I would say it happens um, four times a year, maybe five times a year, but it's a, it's a regular occurrence with me. Uh, and maybe you have a, a personal crisis. Mine goes like this. Um, my personal crisis goes along the lines of uh, maybe the, the life that I'm living doesn't quite look like the one I'm meant to be living. And maybe the way that I live my life isn't quite the life that, that God wants me to live. Maybe um, I've sold myself short. Maybe I've settled in certain areas of my life. And that, um, that kind of personal crisis for me can come up in a whole range of different settings and scenarios. Uh, I have a, a particular friend, and I know that whenever I see them, they're going to ask me some really awkward questions. And I like them, it's fine, but, but they ask me some really irritating questions that I wish they wouldn't ask me. And I know at some point I'm going to have a vaguely sick feeling as they ask me those questions and they poke me and they probe me. But I know that when I see that person, it will send me into another one of my personal crises. Sometimes I, I see someone living in a particular way and I see them go and, and do a particular thing. I see them be um, bold and courageous in a, a particular thing. And I, I look at that and I think, oh, i I wish that I had the kind of boldness and courage that they had. And it's not a jealousy, it's not an envy, but a sense of, oh, maybe, maybe they've got something in this that I, I'm yet to fully grasp, I'm yet to fully handle. Sometimes uh, I read a, a passage from the Bible, like tonight's passage, and it challenges me. It challenged me because when I, when I hear that passage that Georgie read tonight, when I hear about what Peter does in that uh, encounter with the man at the beautiful gate in the temple, I think, oh, my life doesn't quite look like that. I see Peter living with a, a boldness and a courage that so often I don't live with. I see him uh, living as though he believes God can do anything. Peter believes in a God who can do utterly impossible things, but so often I sell my God short by my own um, uh, struggle and sometimes by my own kind of upfront cowardice. I don't uh, step out in faith. I don't have the boldness. I don't have the courage that I see Peter have. Uh, we're going to uh, go through a whole series of different people in Acts, and each one of them lives their faith out in uh, utterly incredible ways, uh, in ways where you don't doubt that they utterly trust in Jesus. Do they, they utterly trust in the power of God. As we go through this sermon series, will you let yourself be challenged by them? 
We're going to hear stories of people who are willing to die for their faith. People who are willing to do whatever it takes. Willing to pay the ultimate price so that people could know who Jesus was. People willing to, to pray for healing for people. People willing to, to preach in places they weren't allowed to preach. Will you let that challenge you and disturb you and make you uncomfortable? You see, I, I wish partly that we could kind of dismiss this passage tonight as a thing that happened a long time ago, as a kind of uh, old historical fact. But, but I can't let myself do that because when the psalmist wrote, God is the same yesterday, today and forever, I believed him. I don't believe that God has changed. I don't believe that God was doing something through his early followers that he doesn't want to do through each of us now today. I believe that God wants to express himself in exactly the same way, that God wants to see people healed, radically healed. God wants to see scores of people come to faith. He wants to see his church be bold and courageous, just like he did with the early church. I, I, I don't want to believe that that was a thing for them uh, back in the glory days of the early church, but that maybe God wants to do that here and now, and not just with Peter and all of his crowd, but with you and me. What if we believe that God wanted to do the kind of things we're going to read about him doing in the early church, not just thousands of years ago, but using people like me and people like you? You see, this passage challenges me and it makes me uncomfortable because I, I hear the stories and I hear the way that they live and I hear about their ordinary, everyday life. And so often I think that's not my life. And it's not God that's changed. It's not that God got less powerful. It's not that God got less willing to, to use me and maybe less willing to use you. It's, it's not about that at all. I want to hold this at arm's length and dismiss it as old historical fact, but the problem is I've been in places where people have lived like Peter. I've seen people live like Peter and do the kind of things and pray for the kind of things that Peter did. I went to Australia just over a year ago, and I went with Alice, my wife, and one of our friends, Joel. And we went because Alice's sister, Emily, was working for a church there for a little bit. And they were seeing God do some incredible things. So we thought we would go out to Australia for a couple of weeks and we would enjoy the sunshine and eat nice food and drink nice drinks. But mainly we went because we'd heard that God was doing some incredible things there. And we quite fancied a look. We wanted to see what it was that God was doing. And we, we had two weeks where, where God managed to, to break every conceivable box that we'd safely put him in. Uh, and he blew all of our preconceptions, all of our assumptions about the kind of things that God might want to do. Uh, and we, um, we went out for lunch with someone one day, and this person was called uh, Nathaniel. Uh, and Nathaniel was an absolute firecracker. He was off the chain. Uh, we went out for lunch with Nathaniel, and we knew that we were in for an interesting lunch with him, uh, because before we even got into the restaurant, uh, he'd already stopped to talk with and pray for a couple of people on the street. Uh, and then we went into the restaurant, and we sat down, uh, and then someone with their, their leg in a cast walked in. Uh, and, uh, someone with a, their leg in a cast is like a red rag to a bull to Nathaniel. Uh, and so he, he went straight up for them, and he, he prayed for them, and, uh, and nothing seemed to happen. But if that had been me, my, my confidence would have been shattered. I would have been on the floor. That would have been me for the day. But it didn't seem to bother him. He wasn't phased at all. So he came back, he sat down, and then he felt God nudging him to go and pray for some of the security guards. And he, he went and he prayed for them. And then uh, all the time during the meal, he kept on getting up and going and praying for people and having prophetic words for them. And, and some people encountering God for the first time in that restaurant. And it got to about the 10th time where he, he got up to go and pray for someone. And every time he would take one of us with him. And he didn't take me this 10th time, but he took someone else. And I, we were with his wife, Haley, And I said, look, Haley, is he always like this? Can he always? Because I thought, oh, we're in Australia. 
you know, the Poms, the Aussies, like maybe he's trying to show us like what it's really like to follow Jesus. I'll teach the Poms what this looks like. And I said, look, Haley, is he always like this? Because this could be unsufferable. You know what I mean? And she said, no, he's not always like this. Often he's much worse. <laughs> right. And she went on to, to explain that um, they've started to have to allow extra time for them to get to their destination because often they'll be driving somewhere in the car and he'll say, look, we, we need to pull over because God's given me a, a prophetic word for that person. I need to stop and pray for them to be healed. And he said, they, he's missed flights because he's been so busy praying for people. Uh, he's been in airport departure lounges praying for someone and, uh, and seeing God do incredible things to them. And he's completely forgotten why he's in the airport, which is to get on a plane. And he's completely missed flights. See, I can try and dismiss this passage. I can try and say that, well, well God wanted to do that years and years ago through a, a very select group of people. But the reality is that I've seen God do that through people. I believe, as the psalmist said, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that it's not God that changes it's not what God wants to do through us that changes. And I've seen him do it. And the reality is, is that I don't need to go to Australia to see God do that. I don't need to get on a plane and eat terrible food for 37 hours. We could walk out of our front door. We could walk out of that church door now. And God could do the same things. Because God's heart's the same for everyone wherever they are. God longs to see people meet with him. God longs to see broken people be healed and restored and redeemed. God's heart is for everyone everywhere, not just the select few in far-off places. Often we think we have to go to Africa or, or travel a long way before God can do something incredible. But, but what if God wanted to change, not our summer holidays, but our everyday? Because that's the thing I, I see in Peter in this passage. He's not going after some far-off place, but Peter's going to the temple. Like you and me might go out for milk or go to school. Peter's just going about his every normal day. This is how he lives his life. And, and we happen to get a snapshot in our passage today of Peter living his everyday normal life. And it happens to look unbelievably miraculous. I think there were probably lots of instances of Peter stopping and praying for people. And maybe God doesn't heal them. I'm willing to bet that in the seven days running up this, Peter has stopped and prayed for other people, but maybe we don't, we don't hear about them. Um, but we do hear about Peter seeing this uh, lame man healed. Uh, our passage is a, a really uh, beautiful one. It, it talks about a lame man, a man who's been uh, injured since birth, who's unable to move. Uh, in fact, he's um, so, uh, so lame, so injured, that every day his uh, friends will come and they'll pick him up and they'll put him outside the beautiful gate. And they'll, they'll put him there in the morning and they'll take him back at night. And they leave him at the beautiful gate because that's a particularly good place for a beggar to be. The beautiful gate is a particularly good place for a beggar to be because at the beautiful gate, uh, you catch people as they go to and from prayers. Uh, and as he um, begs for money, he, he will encounter two kinds of people, two kinds of Jews. Uh, the first kind of Jews he'll encounter will be the ones who feel really pious, the ones who are, are really impressed with their own religious effort, their own endeavor, and they, they feel like uh, they've got their life sorted. And so as an expression of them having their life sorted, uh, they'll try and impress other people and they'll give the beggar money. So the beggar will make money off them, but the beggar will also make money off the people who don't feel so good about themselves. You think, oh, maybe I'm not quite as righteous as I should be. Maybe our relationship with God isn't quite what it should be. And so they'll give money. Uh, this beggar will have made a, a very reasonable income by begging in this particular spot. And he will probably have been there for years and years and years. Maybe when you uh, go about your business, you see the same beggar in the same spot, and you've seen them for day after day after day. And maybe you've seen them in the same place for years. 
that's what this man is doing. He's found himself at a prime spot to beg. And every day he says the same phrase, have you got any money? Anything for me to eat? Any, got any money? Anything for me to eat? Over and over and over again. But then one day he says it, and it's not just uh, anyone who walks by, but it's Peter and it's John. And the beggar says, have you got any money? And Peter says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That's the most beautiful thing that Peter could have said to him. Silver and gold I don't have. I don't have the thing that you're asking for. I don't have any money to give you, but, but let me tell you what I do. See, often we come to God and we, we present our surface level needs. So that the surface level need for that beggar is that beggar needs money. That beggar needs money so he can go and eat. But, but often God is busy satisfying our deepest needs. God is busy satisfying the need that we didn't even know that we had. You see, that man doesn't know that, that healing is an option. That man doesn't know that, that meeting with Jesus is an option. But because Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, the world is busy presenting to a surface-level need, saying, I need more money, I need more job security, I need more um, this, that, and the other. And, and to a certain extent, that is what we need. But Jesus is busy satisfying the deepest needs of the people around us. God, will want, God wants to use you to satisfy the deepest needs of the people around you. Uh, we can uh, give silver and gold, and that might be good for a time, but what if we introduce people to Jesus? And the way that Peter does that today is by healing. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. One of the things that um, moves me about this passage is that it's Peter's every day, his everyday experience. This isn't Peter on a good day. This isn't Peter with Hollywood lights around his name. This is Peter's every day. Every day he'll have gone to the temple. Every day he will have gone to different places, praying for different people. I did some, uh, some maths this week, and I reckon that I walk past, um, or I get asked for money, probably at least 20 times a week. I, um, I, I cycle into work, and I cycle up Middle Meadow Walk, and there's a, a Romanian beggar there. And then there's a, a beggar outside uh, the Subway sandwich shop just around the corner. Uh, and then there's a, a beggar sometimes on Northbridge by the lights. There's one outside John Lewis. If I go to Tesco's, there's a beggar there. Uh, and then I'll, I'll redo that route. So I'll pass at least 10 beggars, and at different points, I'll have stopped on my bike, and I'll get asked for money. Depending on your routes, you'll get asked for money more or less times. If you walk down Princess Street on a busy Saturday, you could be asked for money countless times if you walked there and back. Every day, there are people asking us for money, engaging us with opportunities. Those are moments where we can engage in conversation, get to know the person who's talking to us. I get asked for money so many times, but, but I hardly ever stop even to say hello, even to chat with them briefly, let alone pray with them as boldly as Peter prays for this person here. But then alongside those opportunities, there are, there are moments in our um, normal lives as we go about our work, our business, our home, where, wherever it is that you spend your time, there are opportunities to engage people with Jesus. And people say, oh, actually, this situation isn't going quite like I want it to. This feels like a bit of a mess. Do you offer to pray for people? Uh, do you offer, you say, uh, in that moment, you'll pray for them or, or say, oh, well, I'd love to pray for you later on. People are always presenting opportunities to us for us to uh, pray for them and to express the love of God to them in that situation and in that moment. You see, uh, as Peter does, we can pray for um, beggars on the street or, or we can pray for people wherever we go. It can be part of our normal, everyday life. 
So if that's the, the kind of life that's set out as normal for us uh, in the Bible, what is it that stops us living like that? Uh, why is it that that, that that doesn't look like my life? Uh, it doesn't look like the way that I'm living. I think the answer is really simple. I think we put the emphasis in the wrong place. We put the emphasis in the wrong place. If someone uh, walked in now uh, and they said, I've just prayed for someone to be healed, uh, what would your first response be? What would your first reaction to them be? I think my first reaction when they said, I just prayed for someone to be healed would be, oh, well, did they get healed? Did that work? How did that go for you? Tell me, were you successful in that? Uh, if someone came to me and said, I've just invited, I've just invited a friend to Alpha, uh, my next question would be, oh, great, well, are they coming? Are they gonna, do you think they'll join us for the whole course? They're going to be here on the launch night? Do you think they'll be here? Uh, if someone uh, came to me and said, oh, I've just had a prophetic word for someone, I felt like God was saying this and I decided to, to give it to them. My first response would be, oh, great, fantastic. Well, was it right? Did, did it make sense to them? Did it, did it fit with them? They would be my first responses. Maybe they would be yours as well. Uh, and as a, I understand why, why I and other people respond like that, because uh, sometimes we're excited to hear about what God's doing. There's a, a genuine kind of enthusiasm within that response to go, oh, well, God can do incredible things. I believe that God could have healed that person. So, so obviously, I want to know, well, did he? I believe that God can speak to us for other people. So I want to know, well, did it work? Was it right? I believe that God wants people to come to faith. So, so obviously, you know, I want to know, were they actually going to come on the course? But I think alongside that enthusiasm and that energy, it also betrays something. It also expresses where, where I and maybe you put the value and the emphasis. See, did you pray for someone? I prayed for someone and they got healed. Great. Well, what I really want to know is, did it work? I invited someone along to Alpha, well, fantastic, what I want to know is, were you successful? I had a prophetic word for someone and I gave it to them, great, well, good on you, but what I want to know is, did you, did you get it right? Did it work for you? In other words, our questions are all about, were you successful? We make success the thing that we focus on. We want to know, did it work? Did it fit for you? And the problem is, is because we put so much emphasis on success, that means that failure becomes a real problem for us. So because I'm, I'm so concerned around that, oh, when you pray for them, were they healed? And success is my goal. That means that uh, if I fail, that's, that's all on me. And that, that feels like a problem. It, it can so often mean that we get scared off from trying in the first place. Because we're, we're so concerned by the question of, were we successful? Did it work? That uh, we decide to, to back off and cow down. You see, if you had a headache, I might summon up the courage to pray for you. I might. If you were lame like the man in this passage, you have not a chance. You will, odds on, I will not be praying for you. I'm sorry. I, don't, that, that's, that's, I would be terrified of that because the, the odds of failure, and I would be, I'd be terrified by that. The failure would be too much for me. Sometimes when I'm praying for people, I feel like God gives me a word or something to say for them. Uh, and I'm kind of almost about to say it, and then I, I feel like I swallow it because I don't want to like an idiot. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want people to think, oh, well, he, he's terrible at that. It's better they don't know that I had one than I, I ran the risk and, and got it wrong. Uh, inviting people to Alpha, maybe there are, are people that you, you want to invite to Alpha, but the risk of it going wrong feels like too much for you. Uh, and the risk of failure is scarier to you than the possibility of success, so it's, it's easier just not to bother. It's easier to say that you forgot about it or, or I had other things and they were busy or whatever. It's, it's easier not to ask. In the church, sometimes we can put so much value on the success story because we put a success story on stage. 
We'll put a success story up in lights. We'll, we'll tell it from the platform, no problem. But what we don't tell is at all the times people obediently and faithfully tried and it didn't quite work out. So, so part, of, part of the problem here is the way that we engage with things in church because we want the success stories. We want something we can put up in lights and something that will make us feel better about ourselves. The thing that um, I feel like God's been challenging me uh, this week is this, is that Jesus doesn't want your success. Jesus doesn't want your success. What he wants is your faithful obedience. Jesus doesn't want success. He wants faithful obedience. If someone um, went to Jesus and he said, I prayed for them, uh, Jesus' first reaction wouldn't be, oh, did they get healed? Uh, His first reaction would be to encourage them. Say, oh, that's incredible that you prayed for them. Jesus doesn't want us, um, isn't concerned about the end game so much as he is the faithful attempt, the obedient action on our parts. I think one of the reasons we get so caught up uh, in the success part is because we think it's something to do with us. Uh, We think that when uh, someone uh, gets healed because we pray for them, that was somehow on me. I I was uh, particularly impressive. I'd had a good week. My relationship with God was on point. I was top of the mountain, Moses, all that kind of stuff. And we we feel like um, it was something to do with us, or or probably more typically and more potently, we assume that if we prayed and someone didn't get healed, it was because we'd sinned. It was because we'd, and if we hadn't messed up and we, we had a bit more faith and we could summon up a bit more, you know, gusto in our praying that maybe we could persuade God a bit better and he would heal them. Uh, we assume that uh, when we pray and it goes right or it goes wrong, that somehow we had something to do with it. But, but Peter nails it in this passage. Uh, when Peter says, uh, silver or gold, I do not have for what I do, I give to you. The next bit he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In other words, not in Peter's name, not in uh, the name of Peter, get up and walk, not in Peter's own ability, not in his own strength, not in his own righteousness, not in how impressive Peter could be, not in how right he felt his relationship with Jesus was, not in anything that Peter could do, but in the name of Jesus. Uh, Peter isn't calling on anything within himself, but he's calling on the name of Jesus because he knows that Jesus overcame the grave. He knows that Jesus overcame all sickness, all death, all illness, all infirmity. Jesus defeated that on the cross. Peter knows that he has nothing to offer in this situation apart from his obedience. And that's why he calls on the name of Jesus. See, names have a power and they have an authority. We live in a world and a society where names have a power and they have an authority. If you go into a school, the name of the head teacher in that school carries more weight than yours. If I'm uh, wandering around the office and I start spouting off a whole range of ideas and I say, well, I think this is a good idea, no one listens. If I wander around the office and I start spouting loads of ideas and I say, well, Dave thought it was good, it happens. Because in that moment, I'm appealing to an authority and a name and a power that's, that's bigger than me. People listen and respect Dave in a way that they don't and maybe will never listen to or respect me. We, um, me and Alice went shopping on Friday, and there was a, a problem in the shop with some of the clothes. I didn't really understand it, but the, the woman said, look, I'm the manager of the shop. Um, why don't you come back on Monday, and you say that you spoke to the manager, and she gave us her name. If we went back on Monday without the manager's name, that won't get sorted. But we go back into that situation, in that context, the manager's name carries a weight and an authority. As Peter prays for this man, he knows that he has nothing to offer. All he can do is be obedient to the thing that God is calling him to do, which is to pray for people. 
That's all Peter can do. But he knows that he can call on a name and a power and an authority that's greater and bigger than him. Now, as we call on a a name and a power and an authority that's greater and bigger than us, I can't guarantee that every time you pray for someone, someone will get healed. I can't promise you that. What what I can promise you is, is that if we don't pray for people to get healed, then we will never see someone be healed as a result of prayer. Often we allow the the possibility that someone won't get healed to, to scare us off to the point where we don't pray. Well, all we've done there is we've ensured that no one will be healed as a result of praying. We've not fixed the problem. We've just turned around and pretended it's not happening. Uh, We need to be a a people who recognize that that the power isn't in us. The authority is in Jesus. He has the the authority. He's the one with all the the power, and we obediently serve him. Uh, We need to be focused not on success, but on obediently serving Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that we are co-workers with Christ, co-laborers with Jesus. When we co-labor, when we work alongside people, that means that we understand that we all bring different things to the party. That means that we all have different roles. And as we pray for people, God has the power. God has the authority. God is the one who can bring about healing. The thing that God's called you to bring is your obedience. It doesn't mean that every time you pray, someone will be healed, but that that does mean that every time you you feel a nudge, you you say the thing that you think God's calling you to say. It means that uh, you don't get um, scared, you don't let the world dictate to you, but you say, I I believe that God wants to do something here, and you you stop for people and you pray for them. Uh, Peter knows no other way to live. Uh, In Matthew uh, 6, I think it is, um, I, I read this on Thursday, in Matthew 6, Jesus is, um, Jesus sends out the disciples uh, in groups of two. Um, I have not updated this. Can I grab my phone? We'll be there. One sec. It says this. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. So Jesus is gathering his followers. He began sending them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. Then they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So, so what Jesus is doing there is that he's intentionally training his followers. Jesus knows that he's not going to be with his followers for the rest of his life, and there are some things that he wants them to know how to do. He wants his followers to know how uh, to deliver people. He wants them to know how to heal people and how to bring people to faith. Uh, And Jesus isn't just vaguely hoping they'll do that, but he's intentionally training them. He sends them out two by two. Off you go out into the world and you pray for people and presumably they come back and they talk about their experience. Jesus is deliberately uh, training Peter for moments like this that he has outside the temple gates. And I'm sure that Jesus will have dissected uh, every time they prayed for someone, and they'll have celebrated the act of obedient faith. Uh, Peter knows no other way to live. I think that as, as followers, there's, there's not many options for us. I think that, that Jesus calls us to live in a way where we uh, exercise bold and brave faith, where we're courageous, where we're uh, not so caught up in the will it work, won't it work part, but we recognize that the thing that we bring is we bring our obedience. This week has been a a slight personal crisis moment for me uh, in realizing that. And there are things that you can do with a a personal crisis. Um, You can do what I I managed to do fairly successfully for the last 25 years, which is ignore it and hope it will go away. And it will do for a time. Probably in a week's time, this feeling will have passed 
and I can ignore it and pretend it never happened, and that will be fine. But then in four months' time, it will come up again, and then I'll ignore it, and, and so on, and until I, I could be 89, and that crisis will still keep on coming up, and this vague sense that maybe God's calling us to live a bit differently, maybe he's calling me to be a bit bolder and a bit braver. See, I, I could wait until I'm 89 and slightly longer in the tooth, or I could just decide now that, that I want to live a bit differently, that I believe that God wants to do things like that in our world today in Edinburgh, that he's not done with his church, he's still, uh, he's still just as powerful as he always was. So this week, um, I checked with Alice, our diary is free on Wednesday night. So on Wednesday night, we're going to make a decision that actually we can, we can have a go, we can see what happens. So uh, Wednesday night at seven o'clock, um, me and Alice are going to go and pray for people in the meadows. You're very welcome to join us. We would actively encourage uh, you to be there if you want to be. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. This is something that I felt God really challenged me on. So if you think that God's challenging uh, you on it as well, then come and join us. We're going to meet outside uh, our flat. If you want to come, I'll give you my address so it's not on the tape for everyone to hear. Um, But we would love for you to come and join us. And we're just going to go and pray for people and see what God does. Um, It might be that we see people get healed like Peter does, or it might be that uh, we just quietly uh, exercise obedience, the thing that we feel like God is calling us to be obedient to. Um, Afterwards, we'll go to the pub, and we might um, talk about how it's gone, but we won't uh, ask how successful we were. We won't ask you how many lepers you healed or how many demons you successfully delivered, but just were you obedient to the thing that you felt God was calling you to? Do you feel like God gave you a prophetic word, or what did you give it, or did you swallow it? Uh, we'll talk about uh, obedience and then we'll probably watch some terrible football match somewhere. I, I don't know. But, but you're really welcome to join us. Uh, if you want to make this just part of your everyday, that's, that's brilliant. That's incredible. Uh, do it on your way to work. Do it on your way home. Do it as you nip to the shops and you pick up your milk or wh- whatever it is that you spend your time doing. But, but don't allow yourself to, to step back because you were so worried about the potential that it might go wrong or, or it might go better than you hope. Don't, don't worry about that. Just focus on the fact that you've been called to be obedient to God's. Maybe there are um, other um, cycles that you uh, get caught up in and you think, um, gosh, I, I, wish, I wish I lived differently. Maybe uh, the thing that God continually challenges you on um, is uh, people trafficking. And you feel like, oh, God's, I need to do something about that. That keeps on coming up for me. Then, then go and do something. Maybe there's a whole range of things. Uh, be obedient to living differently and to calling as God's called you to live.